So today I'm gonna talk about the power of friendship today. And I'm gonna start with a joke. I'm gonna get my Joe Osteen on. Two men were hunting out in the Northern US. Suddenly one yelled to the other and looked up and sees a grizzly bear charging at them. The first one starts to frantically put on his tennis shoes and his friend anxiously asks, what are you doing? Don't you know you can't outrun a grizzly bear? And he says, I don't have to outrun a grizzly. I just have to outrun you. Amen. What kind of friend is that? <laughs> I gotta be careful. PD's faster than me. Uh, let me see if this works. So what's the big idea today? The big idea, I have it right here. Right, You can screenshot it. The main purpose of today's sermon is I believe God has a desire for us to have a friendship. God has a desire to have a friendship with you. And as we endeavor, sorry for the typo, to be more like Christ, this will help us understand the power of friendship in building our faith, our mental health, and the kingdom of God. Since the enemy is the complete antithesis of God, he's setting up systems and structures to stop people from having healthy friendships. Which is a main drive, which I believe is a main driver in the uptick of mental illness, suicide, and I even believe crime. If the enemy can isolate you, um, or if he can't isolate you, he will try to place you among a toxic friend group that infects your faith and blurs your vision. It's my prayer that not only will you desire to have a greater friendship with the Lord, I also hope by the end of this sermon, the Holy Spirit would have spoken to you about the importance of being friendly to all and to prioritize your faith friends. Brothers and sisters, we know our personality contributes to our reality. And we need to have our minds renewed, our, our hearts healed, and our bodies touched by God. See, brothers and sisters, I consider myself blessed. Many pastors I know, there was this one pastor's wife, beautiful woman of God. She told Sister Anna, you can't have no friends in ministry. And Sister Anna was like, I can't receive that. I mean, she went through a faith existential crisis from this insight from a person that was supposed to be her leader. And many pastors share about loneliness in ministry. Many pastors suffer from Bell's palsy. Many pastors suffer from many conditions, from stress and loneliness of ministry. Many pastors' wives feel, and pastors' children feel like they're in the fishbowl. And I bless God that my church, our church, accepts Sister Anna the way she is, accepts our beautiful children the way they are. And I've been blessed to do ministry with my friend, my wife, my friends, my family, and to lead such a friendly church, but we could do better. See, I'm also blessed to have friends and I'm still in contact with my job at Prudential, my, other, my old job at MS442 and my current job. I'm blessed to have friends at Pastor Raymond's beautiful R-How Network and even the old Victory Outreach Network. I've been blessed and I wanna share this blessing with you. I believe friendship is one of the keys to life. I believe friendship is one of the best uh, evangelism tools in the kingdom of God. Brothers and sisters, there's been a decline in friendship. There's a percentage of people who say they don't have a single close friend has quadrupled in third, the last 30 years, according to the Survey Center on American Life. Le nearly half of those surveyed uh, say they've lost touch with their friends over the past year. 
while one in 10 reported having lost touch with most of their friends. And this is sad, brothers and sisters. This is a, a quiet epidemic of loneliness. Even though social media has us connected virtually, many people are lonely. This is affecting our children. This is affecting our seniors. Howard Hughes was worth approximately $4 billion. And he reportedly said, I'll give it all for one good friend. People without friends are people who live in utter poverty. For most people, friendship is one of their deepest needs and desire. Now, this is, this, this is a hard thing to read. And some people question the accuracy uh, regarding whether it's death or um, illness. Um, but this is an illustration a lot of pastors use. Uh, we can only, we, we can live only in relationships. We need each other. Rather crude and cruel experiment was carried out, carried out by Emperor Frederick, who ruled the Roman Empire in the 13th century. He wanted to know man's original language. Was it Hebrew, Greek, or Latin? He decided to isolate a few infants from, sound, uh, from the sound of the human voice. He reasoned that he would eventually they would eventually speak the natural tongue of men. Wet nurses who were sworn to absolute silence were obtained. And though it was difficult for them, they abided by the rule. The infant never heard a word, not a sound from the human voice, and within several months, they were all dead. Brothers and sisters, this is sad. And this is going on a lot of people. Let's look at some text scriptures together. The book of John chapter 11, verse 3, and also the book of John chapter 11, verse 11. So the two sisters sent a message to Jesus telling him, Lord, your friend is very sick. Verse 11. Then he said, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but now I will go and wake him up. John 15, 15 says, I no longer call you servants. Ooh, what a word, what a scripture because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I have learned from my father, I have made known to you. What a beautiful, you know, it's so beautiful that God, Jesus is the human face of God, the exegesis, the exposition, and the explanation of God, right? And that he's chose to come, God chose to come through poor people, God chose to come through like refugees. God chose to not be rich, but have a, a blue collar job, right? And God chose to do ministry through a network of friends, a network of friends and cousins. Such a beautiful thing. And I love how Jesus says that Lazarus, that Lazarus was Jesus' friend. Jesus was loved by Lazarus, Martha, and Mary. Jesus was loved in the town called Bethany. And I've said it before, I want this to be a, a Bethany church. And I love how Jesus says, you're no longer just my servants, you are my friends. There's been a paradigm shift in many, many men and women of God that when they went from uh, mentally and, and, and spiritually from a, 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 um, a servant of God, a son and daughter of God, to a friend of God. Not, they, they do work under the Lord, not because they have to, but they get to and they want to. Praise God. This is from one of my favorite books. I, I suggest you get the, this book uh, by Frank Viola. And I hope you're reading The 48 Laws of Spiritual Power. Many of, you have, many of you have a copy. Please read it. 
So in God's favorite place by Frank Viola, it says, John 11, we are told that Jesus loved Mary, I mean, Martha, Mary, and Lazarus, and they were his friends. Um, in John 15, 15, the Lord said to his disciples, I no longer call you servants because the servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything I have learned from my father, I've made known to you. Love and friendship, these two words sum up the heart of Bethany. Bethany is a place where Jesus loves his own and his own love him. It is also a place of friendship, friendship with the living God. Jesus desires friends, not servants. He desires love, not servitude. In the cold temple of Jerusalem, God was merely served, but in the warmth of Bethany's home, Bethany's home he was befriended and cherished. When I read John 11, I see a Lord who is saying, I didn't come to this earth to be served. I came to have friends. I came to love and be loved. I came to take a people into my heart. I came to unveil the secrets of my heart to my friends. Even in the, in the Bible, John the Baptist is called the friend of the bridegroom. Jesus calls his disciples his friends. Lazarus is Jesus' friend. Abraham was a friend of God. John, in his third epistle, greets his friend. Paul, for friends, Paul went to his friends to refresh himself on his way to Rome. Let's look at friendship defined. A British publication once offered the best def for, uh, a prize for the best definition of a friend. Among the thousand answers received were the following. One who multiplies joy, divides grief, and whose honesty is inviolable. One who understands our silence. Another one is a volume of sympathy bound in cloth. A watch that beats true all the time and never runs down. But the winning definition was a friend is one who comes when the whole world has gone out. Aristotle, a philosopher, says there's three types of friends. There's the friends of usefulness, business partners, co-workers on the job, classmates often fit into this category. Now, don't be the type of person like, oh, you're not my true friend. Listen, there's layers and levels, right? There's gonna be friends who are just useful, praise God. There's friends of mutual interest. The glue of this kind of friendship is a particular kind of shared enjoyment. Think of gym buddies, little league buddies, fantasy football buddies, you and your friends who share a common interest or pleasure. And that's where the friendship is rooted. If you lose interest in that common pleasure, oftentimes the friendship ends. Then there's the friendship of virtue. The glue that holds this sort of friendship together is the mutual respect you have for one another. Such respect may even rise to admiration. You value one another as people and you enjoy one another's company. You are their friend, not for how they can benefit you or how they can bring you pleasure, simply because you like them. This is what Aristotle said was the highest form of friendship. Now, this is the fourth I want to introduce you type. It's called faith friends. And brothers and sisters, I want to challenge you to find faith friends who will build you up. 1 Corinthians 15.33, the Apostle Paul writes to the church in Corinth, don't be misled, bad company corrupts good character. Now let's agree up front that God wants you to have non-believers as friends. God wants you to love everybody. We're going to talk about that in a minute. Show kindness to everyone and to be a uh, help to everyone in need, right? This is 
This is a, a form of kingdom evangelism through relationship, through friendships. But if you don't have any non-Christian friends, um, they won't be around to hear the good news. But brothers and sisters, don't forget your faith friends. You should have friends in the faith. You should have friends that are growing Christians. Your, some of your best friends should be strong believers. Where do you want to be in 10 years? What kind of person do you want to be? Let me tell you two things I could tell, um, I could tell you without really knowing you. Um, you. You're impacted by the people you spend time with and the books you read. And if you're not a book a person that likes to read books or the, the, the messages you listen to, right? Those are the factors. The people you hang out with and the, and the information you intake are going to impact what kind of person you are. So let me give you five fruits of having faith friends. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to uh, share, uh, 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 I'm going to be transparent with you. When I first started my journey in the Lord, I had a hard time making friends in church. I just had such incredibly high standards for people in church that I didn't have for people in the world, right? If somebody in the world was a little bugged out, I was just like, okay, they're, they're bugged out. But when somebody in church was a little bugged out, and I'm gonna tell you the truth, we're all a little bugged out, I just couldn't take it. I had, because I, I had the mindset of the world always looking for hypocrisy in the house of God. And I always had this mindset that like, I had such a higher standard for Christians that they couldn't live up to. And I had to learn to lower my standards. I had to learn to learn to love my brothers and sisters in Christ. All right, five fruits of faith friends. A faith friend rejoices in your joys and sorrows in your pain. A true friend is not just sympathetic, they are empathetic. They share your feelings, they, they weep with you, they rejoice with you. The highs and lows, the mountaintops and the valleys, they're there with you. A faith friend prays for you and prays with you. A faith friend won't disagree, won't defriend you if you disagree. Okay, brothers and sisters, I, 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 you gotta still love me, right? A, you, a faith friend won't leave you because you want you vote differently. A faith friend won't cut you off because you don't vote the same color as them. A faith friend don't cut you off because you watch MSNBC and not Fox and vice versa. Our friendships are tested when there's disagreements. A true friend won't cut you off because of it. That's the world programming us. That's the world. We can't let the world's culture impact how we do things in the kingdom of God. Faith friends are called to be patient with each other. Number four, a close friend, a faith friend will keep, will try to keep in regular contact with you, right? We have to stay close. We have to stay connected. There's, there's protection and connection. Number five, a faith friend will stand by you, defend you, even fight with you and for you when you're under attack. To my mind, perhaps the highest measure of a friendship is, um, protection, protecting somebody, right? And that we have to learn to stand up for justice. We have to learn to stand up for each other, advocate for each other. Dr. Martin Luther King once says, in the end, we will remember not the words of our enemy, but oftentimes the silence of our friends. 
So we learn we learn about we, we learn about God wants to be our friend. We learn about the importance of having faith friends, right? And now remember, faith friends, it's not either or, it could be an and and both. Now I want to share with you a, a kingdom strategy, not only for your mental health, but to build the kingdom. Most of the people in the church right now, most of the people on this call came to this church because of a friend. And we have to continue that. Tim Keller says, the product of true and growing gospel-centered nature is often gentleness. We have to learn to be gentle with each other. The fruit of the spirit should put us um, in the in the oh, should put us in the spirit or give us the attitude that allows us to expand our circle of acquaintances and friends so you can invest and invite people to the kingdom of God, especially um, people with similar background, right? C.S. Lewis said, um, friendships often start with what? You two? I thought I was the only one. Now, I know you know this, but I found this. I want to share it. There's levels to friendship, right? There's the unknown, the randos, the non-existence. There's the familiarity, the acquaintances, and the way friends. There's the friendly friends and casual friends. And then there's like the intercourse, best friends and close friends. The problem is sometimes our scorecard is that if you're not in that top capstone, you're not your friend. And you have to expand your definition of what is a friend. We have to learn to be anointed with our acquaintances. We have to learn to uh, be ready to share love with those we just wave to. We have to learn to, to be uh, caring and, and, and bear the fruit of spirit to our coworkers and our casual friends. This is how we're gonna build the kingdom sisters and this is how we're going to protect our mental health and expand our network it's been said that your net worth is impacted by the size and the quality of your network so some factors of forming friendships number one be cheerful greet people with a smile learn to smile i had to teach myself man i think it was for like three years my mantra was mona lisa smile because my my default face was like an angry face. I used to sit in the train and people were like, I saw you, but you look mad. And I was like, I wasn't mad. And I had just this default mean looking face. I think all my pictures were like 17 to 21. I was like, looking so mean in my pictures, right? Why are you looking so mean? So you have to learn to be cheerful, greet people with a smile. Proverbs 15, 30 says, a cheerful look brings joy to the heart. Proverbs 15, 26 says, the Lord is pleased with friendly words. So be cheerful, be comfortable. We have to learn to be comfortable in our own skin and that we need a healing for that. We need the Lord to heal us so we can learn to be comfortable, to be relaxed and be ourselves. Um, Proverbs 22, 39, the second greatest commandment is this, love your neighbor as you love yourself. We gotta learn to be confident and comfortable and learn to love ourselves. Um, 2 Corinthians 4.2, we refuse to wear masks and play games. We don't maneuver it and manipulate behind the scenes. So I put this in the bottom. I read this once. There was this one guy. It was like, I think it was an Israeli prime minister. And they said his secret of his networking and his friendships was when he walked into the room, he, his persona didn't say, look at me. He would walk in the room and say, look at you and make you feel good. I think that that God should challenge many of us to have that persona. Another thing, we have to be conversational. Learn to ask questions. Learn to, to remember facts about people. That's one of the weird things I'm good at for some reason. 
Philippians 2, 4 says, don't just think about your own affairs. Be interested in others and what they are doing. We have to be considerate and polite. Listen well and empathize. James 1.19 says, let everyone be quick to listen and slow to speak. Romans 12.15 says, rejoice, rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. We have to be consistent. Stick with them in the hard times. Proverbs 18.24 says, there are friends who pretend to be friends, but there are friends who stick closer than a brother. The book of Job, chapter 6, verse 14, says, a despairing man should have a, the devotion of his friends, even though he forsakes the fear of the Almighty. And, that, and the last two is be confidential. Don't gossip about them. Proverbs eleven thirteen says a true friend will keep a secret. Just assume everything somebody tells you that's outside the Overton window or outside what you consider nor the norms. Just assume it's a secret, right? And pray for them. Uh, Proverbs eleven thirteen and TEV version says no one who gossips can be trusted, but you can put your confidence in someone who is trustworthy. And the last thing in terms of being friendly and building a kingdom and building your network is be Christ-like. Learn to love people unconditionally. Romans 15.7 says, accept each other just as Christ has accepted you, right? So in conclusion, we looked at the decline of friendship. We looked, uh, Jesus is looking for friends, not just servants. We looked at four types of friends, mutual interests, usefulness, virt virtual, and faith friends. We looked at we're called to be friendly. Our personality kind of shifts our reality. We looked at seven tips to become a better friend. So we're going to pray. We're going to pray that you grow in your friendship with the Lord. We're going to pray that you grow in your faith friendship by midweek check-ins, the chat right here, and something we want to reinstall, reinstitute, journey groups. And I believe we're going to have a journey group um, form that we're going to send to you guys. And we're going to pray for your friendliness factor to rise. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I come before you in the name of Jesus, and I pray that we would just grow more in love with you, that, that our home will be a Bethany for our Savior, that our church will be a Bethany for our Savior. Father, I pray that we will grow in our friendships, Lord, and our faith friendship, that we will just cheer, cheer and pray for each other and cry with each other in midweek, that we will join journey groups and that we will serve together, love you together and love each other as a church. And I pray that you teach us Lord to, to make shifts and tweaks in our personality. I pray that you heal some folks here that have been let down. Some folks watching that have been victim of division and gossip. I pray that you renew their minds that you heal their hearts. You touch their body, they, you touch their body language, anoint their body language, and no, anoint their, their, the way they speak, Lord, how they say things and what they say. I pray, Lord God, you know, one of the miracles that the people joke around is that you were 30 years old, Jesus, and you had 12 friends. And I pray, Lord God, that we will all have 12 friends. Friends at work, friends where we live, that we would just be anointed to be the most pleasant acquaintance to anybody in our circle. That we would be ready for, we'd be ready to share our testimony, ready to share a word of prayer, ready to share hope with everybody in our circle. 
I pray for friends, Lord God. I pray for friends for everybody watching, Lord. Yeah. Friends in church, friends at work, friends where they live, friends if they take the same train every day, that someone they could just nod their head to, an acquaintance, that wherever they go, Lord God, that they will find a favor to make friends. I pray for those who've been through divorce, who've been victims of divorce, been through divorce, Lord God. Uh, uh, close ones have died. I pray that you heal them now. In the name of Jesus, and I pray that we will leverage and invest all our friendships for the kingdom of God. In Jesus' name we pray.